0: You have your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. It is our joy to be here as well, to be together. We're thankful for that. What a privilege tonight we have to pause and to reflect. On Jesus Christ and the cross and all that he did on our behalf. I love stories. I love stories that are true. I love documentaries. I love stories that give, a, give an inside perspective. If it's not a true story, I'm not interested. Maybe you're like that a little bit. I love the stories that bring you in. They, they give you a, a different perspective. They give you an insider perspective. As we contemplate the cross tonight, folks, as we contemplate Jesus Christ and, and all that he has done for us, all that he went through so that we could be forgiven, we find it's a powerful story. And praise be to God, it's all true we can be forgiven because of the work of Christ. All of the different perspectives of the cross throughout the Gospels, there are many, aren't there? Think of the perspective of Jesus Christ and we want to begin in Luke chapter two and really land in John chapter 19, the perspective of Jesus Christ. We could come at it tonight and we could look at it from the perspectives of the disciples. How about Peter? Peter. How about others like Pilate, even Barabbas, the crowds, the thief on the cross, and many, many others? Real people. The Bible is true. It's helpful to get their view of the cross. It helps us see the reality of the cross and all that it means Do you ever find yourself as you're walking through Scripture to just move quickly through passages that are far more rich than we realize? So tonight, that's our hope, to get a perspective from the cross from several angles. But I I want to turn your attention to Mary's perspective first. If you're from Ankeny Baptist Church, we're going to pick up at Luke chapter 2, and I'm certain you remember this. This is where we left off at Christmas Day. Luke chapter 2. Before I read the text, I want to set up a little bit of what's, what's going on. Jesus' mother, Mary, her perspective. M- moms always have a great perspective on their kids. So we want to look at the, at the cross through the lens of Mary. Mary. So let's rewind a little bit. What's, what's going on in Luke chapter 2? Jesus has been born. There's a, there's a new baby. We have a baby announcement. Shepherds, you remember them, they get, their, they get their world rocked by the angel of the Lord appearing to them in the pitch black nights. And there's a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And the shepherds get all of this news. And what do they do? They head off to see Jesus. So in Luke chapter 2, it's the birth of Christ and all of the the details that surrounds his birth. And then as the chapter moves on, here's Joseph and Mary taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And then this man named Simeon arrives on the scene. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Listen to what's said about him here. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon... Took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Great joy. You see in that? Great joy. Simeon is, is blown away of what God has allowed him to see, what God promised, and it came to happen. What joy. And, and verse 32 is a little bit of a clue that some things will be changing. This one born, this one Jesus, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles. And if you heard that, you would have paused and said, Wait a minute. Did he say the Gentiles? And he goes on to say, and a glory to your people, Israel. There's a clue there for us. If you've been through Luke chapter 2 or even at Christmas time, we stop here. A lot of times. We stop right here at the end of verse 32. Tonight I want to push you further. Do you understand what Simeon says next? If we were to do a quiz, do you understand? Could you say, I know what he's going to say next? Listen to verse 33. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. I, I think when I was younger, my parents had the same response about me, only in a completely different way. He did what? <laughs> His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then it's like we need to underline and, and box this word, Then. Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You, You catching what's going on here? Jesus is destined, meaning set in place. This is going to happen. And what Simeon here is going to predict is dark in one sense. J- just for a moment, imagine that you were in the hospital. You've just had your first baby born. And someone comes in and says, here's what, here's what I need you to know about your baby. And then what they do is they go on to tell you, about the great difficulty ahead in the life of new, your new child. So what's going on here? And, and this is more than he's going to be honry, He's going to get himself in a lot of trouble because of it. He's going to be pretty mouthy and at times very disrespectful to his mother. That was my summary of my upbringing. This is so much heavier. And it doesn't even compare And and oh, by the way, this person continues to tell you as you're in the hospital room with your new baby, what's going to happen to your son is going to break your hearts. The picture here in verse 35 is specific, it's graphic, and it's of a sword piercing through the hearts that's heavy. Imagine the thoughts that are just swirling around in the minds of Joseph and Mary. What are they thinking? I mean, we could go back to Matthew chapter 1 and we could read through Luke chapter 1 and we can find out from Scripture that Mary knows that her son will set his people free from their sins. His name is Jesus. She knows that. We know from Luke chapter 1 that she knows he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. She knows he will be called the son of God. She knows he will provide redemption for his people. She knows the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign and his kingdom will have no end. These things she's aware of. But does she know the cost? Does she understand the heartache she would have to endure? And Simeon here started to paint that picture. And it's a a hard one. Up to this point, if we were to start tonight, and we, we won't do that. But if we were to begin reading in Luke chapter 1, all the way to Luke 2 and verse 32, we would find cause for great celebration, and there is. But then we read these final words from Simeon. Mary, this is, this is what's ahead for your son. And what is ahead for Jesus? Dark days are ahead for Jesus. Dark days were destined. What's ahead for Jesus? It says here in Scripture that this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many. I think it's the reflecting two responses we can have to Jesus accept him or reject him. Accept him and rise, reject him and fall. What is ahead for Jesus? Well, we know this from what Simeon tells us, that Jesus will be a stumbling block for many. Accept him or reject him. Rise or fall. And this theme is painted thick throughout the New Testament. Jesus is either a stumbling block to you, or he's a cornerstone. He's a stumbling block for some, or a cornerstone for others. And that's exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.8. They stumble because they reject Jesus. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and and foolishness to the Gentiles. And what we find Luke doing through the words of Simeon is helping us understand the theme of Jesus' life. He's going to be rejected by many. John says in John chapter 1, he came to his own, and they didn't even want him. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. They didn't want him. They stapled him to a cross. I mean, how hard it would have been for for Mary here to hear, this is what's going to happen to your son. Your son's going to be despised. He's going to be hated by many. He's going to grow up and face all kinds of religious leaders that want nothing to do with him, and they want to kill him. People are going to shout for his death. His life will be marked by division and opposition, and we know it tonight deep suffering. That's what the word opposed here means in verse 34. Jesus will be a stumbling block for many, but oh, my friends, he will be a life. He will be life to those who would receive him. Many will rise, meaning be saved. Find life, eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. And isn't that the case? For any one of us, listen carefully tonight. Unless we fall on our face before Jesus, we will never rise. You want life. You have to lose your own. Forsake all and follow Jesus. Bow the knee. Die to yourself Trust in Christ alone, and those who do will find life in Jesus alone. And praise be to God, he will raise you up. So Jesus said, John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. A stumbling block, life, but then much heartache for Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul. She will watch her son die a real death in the most agonizing way, and there she would be with others at the cross, wondering how will this one ever rule on the throne of David forever? Like, how's that gonna work? And what I want you to see tonight from Luke chapter 2 is that dark days were destined for Jesus. Dark days are coming for Jesus. The hardest of days that anyone has ever experienced. And all by the perfect plan of God to redeem sinners. Salvation would come through Jesus Christ and the cross. And it would set people free from their sin. Are you glad you're free tonight if you know him? But what a cost. The life of Jesus. Blood would be shed. Jesus Christ would experience the hardest moments anyone has ever had to experience. Dark days destined. And folks, that's why we're here tonight. To reflect on that. Would you go to John chapter 19? John chapter 19, and I would want to humbly tonight move us to the cross. I'm going to begin reading for us in John chapter 19, verse, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, here's the man. When the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He, he went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But, but Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me. Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Oh, well, listen to Jesus. You would have no authority over me at all, if it hadn't hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And from that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him, but the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavements, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about six in the morning. And then he told the Jews, here is your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king, but Caesar, the chief priest, answered, So then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. Therefore, they took Jesus away, carrying his own cross. He went out to what is called Skull Place, which in in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others were with him, one on the other side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign letter to put on the cross. The inscription was Jesus the Nazarene the king of the Jews. And many Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts apart for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. They did this to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Folks, verse 25. Luke 2 in our minds. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother And the disciple he loved standing there. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Friends, tonight, would you see this in your mind tonight? Would you visualize this, that there's the cross and all that has just taken place and there's Mary And it's not just Jesus' mom, it's a collection of people, three other ladies who have all been radically changed by Jesus, and John is there. I mean, imagine the scene. Like, we read this through, and sometimes we can miss the hostility of the crowd, the craziness of the crowd, the hatred of the crowd. And there John tells us, Mary doesn't say anything, but Jesus does. And in what Jesus says to his mom while she's on the cross, you see that loving, sacrificial, giving heart of the Savior. Woman, here is your son. He takes John and says, here's your mother. He's going to take care of you. And the people that surround the cross, not the four soldiers that we read about, By the way, what a contrast between the four soldiers and the four people near the cross here. The people that surround the cross, Jesus looks down from the cross on people. He has radically changed, and we see in this moment of agony a weighty snapshot of Jesus' love for sinners, his love for his mother, who is, by the way, most likely a widow at this point. And we see their love for him That's why they're there. And what a a moving last scene of the cross. Jesus' love for sinners and their love for him. Can I ask you a question tonight? It's very simple. Do you love the Savior? What a perspective through the eyes of Mary. But let's not get lost in Mary. Mary's not the center figure of the story. Jesus Christ is. He is the central figure of all of this. In verse 28, we read after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Bowing his head, he, he gave up his spirit. Friends, when Jesus said, it is finished, What did all of that entail for you and me? I want to make it personal tonight. It is finished means this. Jesus is my sin bearer. These dark days arrived. It is finished. Jesus is our sin bearer. Do not forget tonight. Don't move too quickly into the weekend, dear ones, and forget it was my sin that Jesus died for. Do you love how deep the Father's love, that song, that rich hymn? It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. This is what Peter says, too, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins... We might live for righteousness, and you have been healed by his wounds. And we hear the words echo in our mind from Isaiah chapter 53. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pain. But we in turn regard him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Later on in verse 11, it ends, My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, our sin bearer, we the guilty one, he the perfect spotless lamb of God, he bore your sin, he bore my sin, and as you just heard Isaiah 53, we realize yet again that Jesus is our sin bearer, but he's also this, he's our substitutes. In my place, he paid a great cost. He sacrificed his life. The rejection he faced, the mocking, the pain our Savior endured was in our place. And oh, but worst of all, was the wrath of his Father poured out on him. That's what Jason sang about a moment ago. Jesus, there in the garden, cries out to his Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that waits on Jesus as he hangs on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In our place he stood. What he endured on the cross was for me. How do you you read Isaiah 53 without the words our leaping off the page? If you've never read Isaiah 53 in that way, read it and notice, oh, you are our. And he's the sufficient sacrifice. He's our sin bearer, he's our substitute, and he is our sufficient sacrifice Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no hope. There's no way to be made right with God tonight. There had to be a payment, a perfect sacrifice for sin. That's what Jesus did for us on our cross. And he is the all-sufficient sacrifice. And what did he accomplish? Everything you need to be right with God. He paid it all. The work is finished. Nothing else needs to be added. The wrath of Almighty God that I rightly deserved was satisfied. Everything for sins to be forgiven past, present, future. Guilt removed. Wrath towards me taken away. Jesus did it all. He is sufficient. He took my wrath that was squarely aimed at me. He gave his life as a ransom, a payment. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, 1 John 4 here, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. His ransom paid my freedom and through faith I can be a child of God tonight. If you don't know him tonight, well, we'd love to introduce him to you. Sufficient sacrifice. No longer an enemy of God. God's wrath towards me has been taken out of the way by the blood of the Lamb. It is finished. Nothing else is needed. There's no more work to be done. Read the book of Hebrews tonight. Before you go to bed, read it all. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. What Jesus did is enough. Me, a sinner, can be brought into right relationship with the Holy God. When you think of the phrase, it is finished tonight. Hear this. Jesus is my sin-bearing substitute who satisfied the wrath of God. That's who he is. Our sin-bearing substitute who satisfied the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. And here's where I want to close tonight. I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you know him by faith, if you've been forgiven, if you've trusted in him alone. But here's what I want every single one of us to know tonight. All of this that you see on the screen, all that the scriptures tell us about is available to anyone who would come and trust in Christ alone. Anyone. I mean, consider the the people that Jesus ministered to. Consider who you were before Jesus Christ. Grace is available to all who would come. Think of Christ and, and, and where he went while he ministered on earth. Accused of welcoming and dining with sinners. He didn't go to the people that had it all together. He didn't go to the best of the best. He went to the people who were broken and messed up. And by the way, that's all of us before Christ saved us. Available to anyone. Think of the criminal on the cross. Jesus says to this one, today you will be with me in paradise. Just a few moments prior, he'd been kind of going at it with the other criminal. One of the gospel accounts even says that they were hurling insults at Jesus. Jesus. We think of the, the criminal on the cross and, and we think, well, what did that guy do to deserve eternal life? It's a number of years ago I heard someone reference Alistair Begg's illustration about the thief on the cross. I've seen it pop up even over the last couple of months on social media. The illustration is called The Man in the Middle Said I Could Come. It's powerful. I'm not going to recap it for you tonight. But what did the thief do to deserve heaven? He didn't live a moment for Jesus. He didn't understand much about Jesus, but he understood that he needed Jesus to save him. And because of Jesus' death, he could come. He could be forgiven. He could be right with God. He could be with Jesus for all eternity. Why was that possible? We can come and we can be forgiven because Jesus paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. And what Jesus has done And what he says, that's all that matters. And we can come regardless of our past, come as you are, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus Christ alone, because Jesus said so. He paid the price. Friends, you will either rise or you will fall. It's not possible to remain neutral towards Jesus. Jesus either accept him or you reject him. If you know Christ today, whether you've known him for two months or four decades, look what Christ has done. If you don't know him, come to him. Turn from your sins. He died in your place. He took your sins so that you wouldn't have to die on the cross. He paid it in full. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. Repent of your sin. Trust in his finished work. He will give you life. He died for us. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we... So thankful tonight that we can... Just pause and and let all of the distractions fade away for a minute. The power of the cross, the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ was for us. And, oh, Father, we are undeserving. We, We need to be reminded of that tonight. If Christ doesn't go before us, we have no hope. God, may we be humbled by all that Jesus endured in our place. God, you poured out your wrath upon your one and only son so that undeserving people could be forgiven. Lord, that's us. And we adore you for that. Father, many will reject the message of Jesus Christ, and yet we know many have accepted it. Many have fallen. And many have risen. God, tonight, would you work in our hearts. Lord, save There's some folks who came this evening who don't know you. God, would you bring them to yourself? May they know that they're in a place that loves them and cares for them. Father, we're so thankful that you are mighty to save in Jesus' name.